Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the Black Women Know Sports podcast. Today, I am here with Ariel Robinson, and I want her to introduce herself and kind of explain who she is. And if you're an Aggie, you know exactly who she is. But to, for those who aren't, I just want to let you explain yourself and, and tell the world who you are. Yeah, thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Ariel Robinson. I am a North Carolina A&T State University graduate. I graduated with a multimedia journalism degree. Um, I'm a multidisciplinary artist and I'm currently an art director at Wyden and Kennedy. It's an advertising agency. And yeah, I've done a lot of lot of things that fall under the umbrella of multidisciplinary artists. So excited to dive into some of those things today. And also thank you for having me. Of course. So I do want to talk about your Nike Yard Runners campaign. Um, I want to know, how does it feel to be known as one of the youngest Black women to design a shoe for Nike? It's super surreal. It's something that like was bigger than any of my like dreams or things that I like envisioned for myself. So I'm really honored, really blessed and grateful to have done something so amazing and be able to have put it out into the world for other people to experience. Yeah. And so kind of take me through that process um, of getting it designed, because I know you did like a fake Nike campaign um, back in the day. I was scrolling on Instagram and I saw it and I was like, this is really, really dope. And then to see you now design this shoe, I mean, that's got to be a full circle moment. So kind of take me through the process and how you ended up to where you are now. Yeah, for sure. So like you said, started back in 2020. Um, during the pandemic, I was creating a lot of content from home because I was blessed enough to not have many obligations and I was staying at home with my mom. So I was getting up every day and just creating content. And um, I realized that all the shoes that I, all the sneakers I owned were Nikes. And I just kind of like stumbled across it. It started with me making like lots of TikTok videos. And one of the TikToks that I made was like a lookbook. And I really liked one of the outfits. So I was like, well, I got my camera. I got these backdrops. I got fabric around. Like I'm going to set up a little photo shoot, take some pictures, post them on Instagram. And I really enjoyed doing that. And it wasn't my first time doing it, but it was the first time in a while. And I'm like, well, I guess we can do this again tomorrow. So the next day I took photos again and I just happened to be wearing Nike shoes in the photos. And while I was editing them, I was like, wow, I could turn this into a little, little fake poster. And so I did. And then oddly enough, the next day was Air Max day. And I'm like, well, I got a pair of Air Max. I'm gonna take some more photos. And so, that snowballed into 10 and a half installments of me just coming up with concepts around the Nike shoes that I owned. Um, and so that kind of got some traction. People were, you know, really liking it. Uh, some HBCU alum were connecting with, connecting me with people who worked at Nike. Nothing like me saying like, oh, I want to do this, but just, you know, connecting with these people that look like me that work at this company. And then fast forward to later in 2020, two men that worked at Nike at the time, Arinze Imagwali and Richard Palmer, they started the Yard Runners campaign. And so for the first installment of Yard Runners, it was highlighting HBC alumni that were entrepreneurs and that graduated and went on to have successful businesses supporting themselves. And I really, really resonated with the imagery. So the people who were behind that campaign they had seen the work that I had done and they put me on their PR list and they sent me some shoes. And so I'm like, oh, this is a no brainer. I'm going to take some pictures with them. And so from those pictures, I was able to connect directly with the people who created this campaign, who also were HBCU grads. They both graduated from Howard. 
Um, and then fast forward to 2021, now a year later from when I did the pandemic content, they reached back out to me and asked if I would assistant creator direct the second installment of Yard Runners. So I was working behind the scenes. We had 16 different talent. That year we focused on former athletes who had gone on to do amazing things. So one of the athletes was a Morehouse baseball player who, ha who now has a nonprofit. So people like that who were athletes, but now have different like career choices and are killing it in their career choices. So being on the backside and helping to bring that to life visually um, was really cool. And then for 2022, the third installment, they reached back out again and was like, this year we'll have access to product. We'll love for you to tell a niche story about your university. And I did, and then that led to the Nike Dunk. So it was three years in the making of just staying consistent, um, keeping those relationships up and not only creating content around Nike, but also just creating like other things that inspire me and being active on social media and connecting with people from HBCUs that are that were students and graduates. And I think this is a great testimony to like staying with what you have and working with what you got at home because we're in the pandemic and we didn't really have much. We couldn't go out many places, but you decided to take what you had in your home and create this campaign and now look at you like that's amazing. Did you use like any certain cameras or did you like, was it just something that you used on your iPhone? Yeah, so I was using a Canon EOS 4000D. It's a starter camera. It was the first camera that I bought for myself. And I was just setting it up on the tripod, um, using just like curtains, shower curtains. Um, I had these little like paper posters that I had like stolen from my high school. Like if you go in the, like in our library, there were like these long rolls of paper and you'd like pull them off and they would use them to like decorate the boards that you see in the hallway that are like, I don't know if I'm like describing it very well. But it's like these like long, long poster paper and they like staple it onto the board. And like, you know, the boards change if it's like like bulletin paper. Yeah. And so I had stolen so many of those bulletin paper because I'm like, they won't mind like if I take some. So I had colors and I'd been using those for years to create photo shoots. And that was before I even had a camera, like with my iPhone. So I had access to those papers. I had a lot of just like random things because I'm super like arts and craftsy. So like, I just have a lot of like arts and craft stuff like hanging around. I was even using like props, like my nephew's like basketball goal that he got for Christmas, like hauling up the stairs for like my photo shoot. So literally anything I could get my hands on that made sense for the concept. So like in installment, I think it's installment 11, but it's installment 10 because I have like a half installment. Um, you see lots of toys. I'm pretty sure those are like my brother's toys. So just using everything that I can around the house. And I shot it on a Canon EOS 4000D, which is a great starter camera for people who are just learning about like photography. What year were you in college whenever you did this? I was a sophomore-ish. So um, the fall of 2019, I switched my major. So coming into spring 2019, I not only switched my major, but I also had to take a semester off because I had an internship at a record label. So when the pandemic began, I wasn't even on campus, but I was like a sophomore, freshman, sophomore, because I just switched my major, um, but I was 19. Oh, wow. Did you show your professors any of the work that you were doing? I'm not... I don't know. I'm not really the type of person to like directly share things with people. A lot of people don't like that about me. They're like, why do you tell me this? I'm just like, that's just not 
not me. Um, if my professors came across it, that's nice. But no, I didn't directly share it with anyone. So what was your favorite part about working on this shoe? Definitely when we shot the campaign. We shot it like outside of LA. We were on the beach and like just being on the beach. I'd never been to the beach in LA before. It wasn't exactly LA. I'm like blanking on the actual beach, but it was like outside of LA, but I'd never been to a beach in California and it was just super surreal and beautiful. And like having a full team of like black people, like Cam Kirk shot the campaign. So like him and all of his team, the Nike team, Widening Kennedy, which is the agency that did the creative League 22, like being around, surrounded by black people on such a large set and having them all like working towards a common goal. I think that was definitely my favorite part. Um, I enjoyed the designing the shoe and researching it, but like being able to see it in person, have it on my feet, shoot the photos, you know, be the face of it was really, really fun. And take me through designing it. Like how did you decide where you wanted certain places of the shoe to go? Yeah, so when they reached out to me, they said to tell a niche story about my university and so I knew that I wanted it to be a physical place all of the like projects that I really really admire they submerse you in a physical place so whether that be in New York or Tennessee or Atlanta or California they're gonna take you there and then when you visit those places you're like oh I gotta go there I gotta go there because this person talked about it or they experienced it and now I want to experience it and I wanted to do that same thing with the shoe so I was like okay what's a place on campus that connects us all because there's a lot of dialogue around uh, obviously AT is an engineering school so there's a lot of dialogue around not being an engineer or being an engineer and being prioritized or having a platform and so I, I wanted to not only honor the innovation that comes from the engineering sector of AT but also the design and the journalistic parts because we are journalists um so when I was doing my research I was doing a lot of research through like the yearbooks old bulletins old newspapers and it brought me to an article um, like back in the 60s, one of the editor in chiefs, he wrote a letter about for the letter to the editor. And it was when the first student center opened and he talked about how he wanted it to be the joy and noon, night, like no matter what time of day, he wanted that same joy to be in this physical space because HBCUs were provided to create a physical space for black students to learn. And so I think that's really important. And when you see other people who don't like didn't go to our type of school and they're like, oh, like this is an HBCU, they're neglecting the historical part, the physical part of actually being on campus and having that experience. And so I wanted to literally when people step in the shoe, I wanted them to be able to experience that. And then when they learn more about it, I hope that it sparks a conversation and makes them want to go to our student center. So yeah, I made the student center the focal point of the shoe because it is the heart of the campus. Um, in that original letter to the editor, he talked about um, how it was like the living room of the campus. So it's like, no matter who you are, whether you're a student, faculty, administration, like coming onto the campus, this is one place that unites us all. And so I thought that was extremely important and I wanted to tell that story. Yeah, and I've never heard that before, but now thinking back on it, whenever I go into the stew, like they have like a little area where there's like bean bags and like a big TV and then like the calf is like right across. It is like a living room. A lot of people don't know that when the old student center was torn down and they started creating the new student center, like, and this is all online, like the architects, they, for like a long time, they were interviewing students. They were having focus groups. They were trying to figure 
figure out where on campus it would be, how would it interact with people. So like one thing that I do all the time or I did when I went to A&T is if it was cold outside or if it was rainy, I'm cutting through the student center. So at least I can have a moment to just regroup before I go to classes. They did that intentionally. They wanted students to stop in there. They wanted it to be a place that was a central place for people to regroup down to having the big yellow stairs and having it like loop through the building. All of those decisions were intentional and conscious decisions. And I admire that. And I wanted to bring that into a shoe so that other people or other students or other people who are interested in HBCUs or ANT specifically, they feel that same love. They understand that like there's innovation in our buildings because there we're trying to create a space that can cultivate that culture. And I wanted to package that into a shoe that'll go with us no matter when you graduate, if you're an alum, if you've never been there before, you're still feeling that same culture that they built and before them that somebody else built or before them somebody else reported on, like all of these different like intersections. How did it feel working with other HBCU students while working on like your specific shoe, but being around other HBCU students? What was that like? It was cool. Um, The process was very like, it was just by myself. So it wasn't like I was like creating it like out in the open. Like I created it at home in my apartment, but I work best in isolation. So actually creating the shoes by myself, but like going to the student center and people watching and just like still being a student at the same time. So it's like, Everything was happening in real time and it was cool. I don't know if that's like the best word to describe it, but it was cool. Like it was nice to still be a student and to be able to create like a product in real time. And was it overwhelming? Was it hard to keep it a secret from like maybe your friends or other people? No, because it's just like once I submitted the design, I went months without like talking about it because it was other things I had to worry about. I had assignments due at 11.59. I had other projects that I was working on, you know, so it wasn't hard um, keeping it a secret now. So what was, would you say, the hardest part about this process? I think the hardest part is realizing that once you start working in, like, on bigger projects, you relinquish a lot of control. So, like, when I'm working on something for my platform, Solo Lab, I'm in control of every single aspect. But when you're doing something for Nike, there are people you don't even know that are working for you and with you on that project. And so um, having trust and hoping that they're going to tell your story and then also just speaking up for yourself. I think that was the challenging part. I wouldn't say hard is a good word to describe it, but definitely challenging. Like, it's something that you can do. And that I had to do is just like making sure that the story was told in the way that I wanted it to be told. And then also like for me, telling the story was something that people, nobody expected. And so having to not convince, but just allow people, give them the space to think and make their own choices about whether or not they like something. Um, I think that's also very challenging because I am an artist and I'm very sensitive, but at the same time, I'm grateful that people have an opinion on what I'm doing, because that's better than people not caring. You know, they care so deeply about something that they have an opinion on it. And then from there, they want to know more about the story so they can have an educated, like, decision on it. So I would say that the biggest challenges were definitely just trusting the people around me that I didn't even know to get this story right. And then also just, you know, seeing it come all the way through and just trusting myself. What were your emotions like the night before it was released? I don't even remember. Like that whole entire, like, so for the way that the process went, it wasn't just like, um, 
I did all this work and then it comes out one day, like because it was a part of a set with three other designs, like we were celebrating and talking about it and working on it for so long that honestly, I don't even remember the night before. Um, I probably was tired because like there was just so much happening, um, with, especially because of mine's happened during homecoming. And so it's like all these different things that I'm like balancing. I did a collab for merch. I had this shoe. I had like different appearances, making sure I'm booking like makeup and having my hair done. So it was just a lot of different things on top of me trusting other people. I still had to like have my hand on a lot of things. So the night before the shoe release, I honestly don't remember how I felt, but just that process overall in the month of October, it was extremely exciting. It was extremely stressful, but that's the kind of stress I want. You know, I want to be stressed over my sneaker releasing, you know? And as a creative, how did you manage to be able to make sure that your voice is still within the shoe and that others aren't trying to, you know, override what you're putting in or trying to take over your work? Well, the Nike team was super supportive when I brought the ideas to them and I explained like the story that I wanted to tell. They were they were behind it. They understood it. They they trusted me. They supported me. Um, And then like with my community, there were some people who didn't understand in the beginning. And I just had to be okay with that because the rollout hadn't been complete. Um, But like once the shoe, the shoe design was in months like months before anybody, before the shoe even leaked, because it definitely leaked, months before that even happened, the shoe was in. So it wasn't like I could go back and change anything. It's like I had to think for myself and make the decision for myself before anybody even had an opinion on it. And like I said, the Nike team was super, super supportive in the design process. How does it feel to watch now countless like celebrities wear your shoes from Kevin Durant to Monica McNutt to like literally countless celebrities and people wear your shoes. And then also, do you ever walk down the street and just see someone with your shoes on? And like, <laughs> does that ever like make you like a sense of joy? Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. I sometimes forget it's my shoe. I'm like, dang, those shoes are nice. And I'm like, wait, those are mine. Like, those are the shoes I designed. I love seeing people style them. I love seeing people um, wear them with pride. It's amazing to see amazing, like people like Kevin Durant and Monica McNutt, Monica McNutt like wear them because- it just shows that it's doing what I wanted it to do. I wanted it to live outside of the HBCU ecosystem, but bring people in. So when people are seeing them on their favorite basketball player, they may not know an HBCU, but they know Kevin Durant. And now we're getting those eyes. People are learning about the amazing things that are happening. They're learning about the designers and the the people who take the time to dig more deeply into it once they see it on their favorite person it sparks conversation, it sparks thought, and that's all that I ever wanted. Um, And I have seen people that I didn't know like out in public wearing them. And it's always just super cool. I don't usually say anything because it's just like, I'm just admiring it, but it's really nice to just see my art, my story. That's not only my story, but the story of so many students that have come before me and that will come after me. And to be able to wear that because fashion, it's a walking canvas. And so to see people like sporting it with pride, it's so surreal and I'm super thankful. One question I did want to ask during the designing process, did you ever have time to go to, you know, like the headquarters and see it getting made or like, how did you know it was official whenever you were making it? So I did not get to design it in Oregon. I designed it solely in Greensboro and everything was virtual. Um, I didn't go to Oregon until um, I filmed my sneakers episode, which was a year and some change later. Um, But they sent over like a document for me to like, 
create within Photoshop in. So I was just choosing colors, referencing like photos. So on my um, platform, Solar Lab, I have a full article and it shows like the reference photos that I use in terms of the colors. Um, because I wanted it to really reflect the student center, I made sure to find those like high res images, um, the sketches from the architecture firm, all of those things. And I just pulled them into my iPad at the time and I just created the shoe. And I played around with the colors a lot to figure out like how I wanted the color blocking to be. Um, the colors were really important to me because I knew that I wanted it to be something that was extremely versatile. Um, and I wanted it to be more conceptual and more physical than just like the regular school colors. That was really important to me, especially because blue and yellow shoes already exist. And so I'm like, that's something that exists. And I absolutely support people who want to buy those because shoes aren't, you don't have to just have one pair of shoes. But for me, I wanted to get very like conceptual on how it was gonna look. So I was pulling directly from reference photos, pulling from the ANT color codes so that the blue and the yellows matched exactly. So didn't get to go to Oregon until far after the shoe was already done into production. But then I got to see like all the amazing things that are happening there. And it just further proved that like the people on their team are keeping it very tight. They're just keeping it very close to like what Nike was built on because they were able to help me build that story through a, a computer. Do you think establishing yourself was very important at first in order for you to have full creative ability? I think it is important, but it's not anything that ever like crossed my mind. Like when I was creating those Nike campaigns back in 2020, I just wanted Nike, I just wanted to shoot with Nike. Like I just wanted to be in a Nike campaign. I never imagined having a shoe, especially as young as I am and doing it for my university. Like I never imagined those things cause I just didn't know that they were possible. And I think that speaks to like the power of the universe and like the universe is already working for you and putting you in those spaces. So for me, I it was just important that I created the best content at the time that made me happy and satisfied me visually aesthetically like physically so it definitely helped to build the rapport and to you know vouch for me but that's not something that crossed my mind because I wasn't even thinking that far or that big but some somewhere out there in the universe somebody was already doing it for me which I'm again very thankful for yeah. and for those who deal with imposter syndrome what advice would you give them and before you answer I will just tell you that like I have dealt with it very often but you don't even know this but like you inspired me to honestly do what I'm doing now with this podcast and other things that I have going on because I was following you when you released your modern day alphabet book and I was like this is so dope like I loved it so much and then to see you create a shoe like just doing so many different creative things like that really inspires me because I feel like we often put ourselves in a box and we think we can only do this because you know we're this major or whatever but we can do anything so yeah i just want to know like how you got through that and how you were able to accomplish everything you've accomplished i would just say that imposter syndrome is very normal i still deal with imposter syndrome i just graduated from college i'm in a whole new ball game i live in new york like I'm back at zero one, like, or day one, like I'm back at ground zero, like everything is very fresh and new. So like when you just feel like, I don't have the the key to, to conquering imposter syndrome because I still deal with it myself. But I would say the biggest thing is just allowing yourself to feel like you're not enough because then that's gonna fuel you to change that. You know, like, I feel like if you've got it all figured out and you already know that you're, you're it, there's no room for growth. You know, you have to like be okay with being the baby or being fresh and new to something. And when you get there, you just have to keep telling yourself, like you have to pound it into yourself. Like I'm here, 
because I'm supposed to be here. And if I wasn't supposed to be here, I would not be here. And it's like, as crazy as that sound, I have to do that to myself all the time. Like I cry my tears all the time. And then I have to tell myself and I have to convince myself over and over again that like where I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be at. Especially when you're doing things where there aren't many black women that are there. There are not many HBCU grads or people that look like you, or you're doing something nobody has ever done. Sometimes you really have to look in the mirror at yourself, snotty nose, crying, looking a hot mess and laugh at yourself. Like, girl, get it together. Like you're feeling those feelings and that's good, but you got to get it together and you just got to make it happen. Even if it's uncomfortable because you can't be comfortable without uncomfortability. So for me, it's just about like saying it over and over again and allowing myself to be up and down, like not just forcing myself to always be up and believe I'm supposed to be there because sometimes I don't believe it and I just got to do the cycle over and over again. And that's one of the biggest realizations that I've come to is that like life is quite literally a cycle. It's not linear. It's not an upward trend. Sometimes you're going to feel low and sometimes you're going to feel high, but definitely up to us to like pull ourselves up and for me especially with imposter syndrome a lot of that has to do with just reminding myself even when I don't have the strength to remind myself so like having my lock screen be a quote or like writing an affirmation on the mirror so like even when I don't want to muster the strength to pull myself up there's something that's already there that's reminding me um and then lastly with imposter syndrome is just having people to look to and not comparing yourself to them but using them as fuel to be like if they can do it I can do it too so Crosby kid I want to talk about that so what was your major beforehand when you switched I was a marketing student so I was a Kobe student I have an internship with Kobe, so it's kind of funny. And I'm Crosby kid, so <laughs> why did you switch? And then also, how does it feel to be a Crosby kid? Yeah, I switched because I didn't think that the curriculum resonated with my interest. Um, I'm not a math girly, I'm not a business sales girly, but I like to create things. And when I think about marketing, I don't think about like sales and all that. I think about creating cool billboards and commercials that impact people and are feelings driven as opposed to like, sales driven and so when I seen that curriculum and it was accounting and economics and all that I don't think I was ready at the time and I wanted to do something more creative and then also I had friends who were Crosby kids and hearing what their assignments were I'm like dang I wish I had that so that's why I made the switch but I think maybe down the road I'll revisit business because now I'm like cultivating my creative skills and I would love to be able to like make more money with it but at the time, I'm like, I'm not getting an undergrad undergraduate degree in this. Like, this is going to drive me insane. And now to be a graduate of Crosby Hall, it feels really good knowing that I was able to go through um, the program and have all these people who supported me and taught me all these things that I can now use yeah. as an adult. <laughs> and you um, talked about just how important A&T is to you through the SHU. But I want to know, just being a student um, at an HBCU, how important was that to you at the time? extremely important you'll like if you go to college anywhere else you're not going to be around that many black diverse people you know you're not going to be around people that look like you but may have extremely different backgrounds and you learn from them I met all of my creative friends at ANT like some of my best friends that will be my friends for life I created my whole entire portfolio everything in my portfolio was created at ANT um ANT stretched me to get myself out there because I am in my box and most of the stuff I did in 2020 was me. I was the focus or was like my siblings, I was at home. And so like going back on campus after like that break, 
and putting myself out there. People are very supportive. And even the job I have right now, I was hired by an A&T alum that is a Crosby kid. He graduated with a degree in PR. And so he's the reason why I have my job now because he believed in me. And so outside of the shoe, just the culture is very important because people do not hesitate to reach back. And I think that's important, not only for job opportunities, but also for just like growing into yourself and having that support and that community that's going to nurture you. It's not going to happen anywhere else except for at HBCU. How does it feel to know that you're literally everywhere, like in every single form, whether that be a book, a shoe, on social media, an article? Like, how was that? How does that feel? And how do you handle all of this fame? It's cool. Um, it's also like, I know from like an outside perspective, it seems like it's a lot, but there are so many times where I just like go a long time without talking to people or interacting with people because I can literally just live in the real world. Like <laughs> social yeah. media is so, it's like so small and it's cool. It's nice. But also I spend a lot of time just like in my real life with my few friends, like by myself at home. I spend a lot of time at home. So it's cool for like the time being, but it's not even like, it's not the bulk of my reality. So it's like cool for the little chunk of what it is. Um, and it's nice to always have recognition, like, you know, that's cool. It's nice to know that people like resonate with the things you're creating. I love that. And it makes me feel really good. And I definitely love validation. I think that's great. Um, so yeah, I like it a lot. I think it's cool, but it's also just a small part of like what I'm doing, which is cool. So I'm not too like enamored with it. I guess the follow-up would be, how do you stop being so consumed in it? Things happen in life that kind of force you not to be consumed in it. Like for me, I felt like there was a point in time where I was just so caught up in Instagram and I just felt so addicted to it. And then like big things happened in my life that forced me to like put my phone down and focus on what was happening. And yeah, I don't, you know, I don't wish any of those things on anybody, but they happened and they helped me to be like, create a sturdier boundary. So yeah, I would say that if you recognize it, definitely try your best to like be more consumed in more physical things like books and music and your friends and like taking the step to do it. But for me, I was forced. The universe said, yeah, girl, we got you covered. We're going to throw this at you and it's going to force you to like let go. And I'm grateful for that too. Are there any professors at ANT that you would like give credit to or that you would say helped you along your process of being a student and then a creative? Yeah, I would say my favorite professor is my photojournalism professor, Mr. Jowers. Like I really liked his class and you can tell he's super passionate about photography and just like, he's not too proud to like say if he's messed up or to be open to new things and he's always learning and so I really appreciate that and then I had a liberal arts professor Joy Thompson she was super crazy but super cool like I like people who are just like they're just so wrapped up in all the things that they're doing the things that make them happy and make them think and it makes them interesting you know they're again, not too proud to just show that they're passionate about things. So I took a lot of her classes, films of Spike Lee, like um, I took her class about like women in hip hop. So seeing all of these things that I really enjoyed and then seeing how she doesn't mind having a debate or a conversation about these things and really thinking deeply about being a woman, being a black woman, being a black woman who loves music and film and arts and culture. Um, those two were really cool, especially because 
I could do the more creative things because I don't want to be like a traditional journalist. And so having them to facilitate me on the more creative spectrum of having a journalism degree was nice. Where has the opportunity opened up for you with these yard runners? What are some things that you've been able to do and accomplish with, you know, creating them? Well, I have my job now which is an art director at <laughs> Widen and Kendi, which is the number one independent ad agency on the globe. So that's really cool. And I have a job in New York and that's something I always wanted. So being a part of Yard Runners definitely helped me do those kinds of things. But I think the things that I really took away from Yard Runners, it's things that aren't so tangible. It's like being able to go on a set and be confident in my ideas and being able to work on a team on a project that spans a year and a half and being able to you know, work with people that don't look like me, but also being very grateful to be on a set with people that look like me. Um, Yeah, and all the people that worked on these projects are much, much older than me. So just having their guidance and being able to know what it's like to lead and hoping that I can do that same thing for someone else that comes after me. I think those are the biggest things that have happened. And then you also have to remember that I just graduated too. So it's like, Some of those opportunities that I know will come just haven't come yet because it wasn't like I was having this opportunity and then the next day I'm like working full time and doing things like, nope, I was still doing my homework, putting in my exams, like going to the library, getting my stuff together. Um, Yeah, it's also given me the opportunity to like travel to New York and L.A. and Portland and have a relationship with Nike that wouldn't have happened had they not been in those places. So I think those are definitely the biggest takeaways. But you know, those things that aren't tangible that help you to connect with more people and reach back. Sorry, I have a couple more questions now that I'm like thinking. No worries. <laughs> um, what's the most rewarding moment that you've had so far after, you know, your alphabet book and then these shoes? Like what has been the one that sticks out to you the most? Definitely the Kevin Durant thing, just because I didn't know. I literally, someone tagged me in it. That happens a lot. Like I'll just do something and then things are already working like outside of me and then someone will tag me and I'm like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Like, wow, you know, like seeing your work moving faster than you are. It's something that I'm very proud of and grateful for because definitely want my work to span longer than me because I only have a certain amount of time on earth and I don't want my work to just be confined to that time on earth. Um, So definitely like seeing Kevin Durant in the shoes. I think overall just having a shoe, that's like a really big thing. And so being able to go into my closet and have it in my hand and then seeing other people, that's super rewarding. Like, and also my book too, like that's rewarding seeing like sometimes people will have it like on their coffee table and somebody might make a TikTok or something and the books in the coffee table and people are like, oh my gosh, like that's my friend's book. And I'm like, that is I like that's crazy. All those things. It's like those little moments where it's like you didn't plan it, but the universe did it for you. And so you're just seeing it, the fruits of your labor in real time. And it's like, wow, that's really cool. Is it ever hard balancing being a student and being a creative? Life is hard to balance. Everything's always hard to balance. Something always falls through the cracks. That is like That's the biggest thing for me. Like there's no such thing as really, the balance is something always has to go low for me. So like some days when I was like, I have to focus on this opportunity because if I don't like, I'm not gonna be able to pay my bills or I'm not gonna have this opportunity again. 
I had to miss an assignment and that was just like the hard truth about it. And then there were some days where I'm like, y'all gonna have to wait because I got to go to the library and I have to lock in and I have to do this work because it's important to me. So the balance is more about like something going low and something going high as opposed to them being equal because it can never be equal. Like there's just not enough time in the day. And then also just being a creative, things are always like, they don't work logically, you know? Like I could say, I'm gonna plan this for this hour and I'm gonna do this, but that's not to say that like, that whole hour I'm gonna sit and stare at a blank canvas and not be able to put anything on it. And then when the hour is up, now my juices are flowing and I just wasted a whole hour, you know? Like things like that happened all the time. So the balance was definitely just deciding what goes high and what goes low and having the discernment and having like the prior prioritization to be like, okay, this is what this is and this is what this is not. Um, and that's okay. And that's the reality. Like a lot of times people try and make it seem like it's not a reality. Like no, I missed assignments. I had to like do things that weren't the most conventional, but also like my route is not conventional. It's not traditional at all. So I hope that people know that like, I wasn't like a perfect student throughout my time at A&T, but I showed up in the best way that I can and I would not do it any other way. Well, that's all the questions I have. Thank you so much. I will definitely like be hitting you up after this. But the last question I kind of have is where can people follow you and connect with you? Yeah, so my Instagram is I'm.Ariel. So I am dot A-R-I-A-L. Um, and that's just kind of like the hub for all my creative stuff. I'm redoing my website right now. So got to hold on for that. I also have a platform called Solar Lab, which is S-O-U-L-A-R-L-A-B. Also redoing that website. So that should be up by like, the end of next week, but Solar Lab is the place. My page now, I'm Ariel, is starting to become more personal, and Solar Lab is more of that behind the scenes of the work. So, like one of the questions you asked was like, what camera I use. On one of the segments on Solar Lab, the lab report, I talk about things like that. Like I use this camera. This was the camera settings. This is how the photo shoot went. Things like that. So people are interested in learning about more of those behind the scenes or just the things that are inspiring me. Um, I post about that on Solar Lab. But yeah, my main Instagram is I'm.Ariel. And I have Twitter on Istari. So yeah, that's how you can connect with me and keep up with what I'm doing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You're amazing. And I really, really appreciate this. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for tuning in to the Black Women No Sports podcast. To learn more about our speaker or to shop Black Women No Sports apparel, head over to the links in my show notes. I'll see you next week with another very important guest.